Donald Trump has secured all the votes he needs from the Republicans in the Senate to confirm his nomination to the Supreme Court, which he says he will announce Saturday. At the top of the list, Catholic Amy Coney Barrett. Of course, they're already trying to smear her as an extremist, but this is the result of nothing other than winning elections. The Democrats can complain all day and night, but the Republicans won the Senate. They expanded their majority and Donald Trump won the presidency. That's it. You can argue about hypocrisy all day and night. Donald Trump's next nomination will give the Supreme Court a six to three conservative majority. This will reshape or it will shape this nation under a more conservative view for a generation, if not longer. If Donald Trump wins in November and the Senate it stays Republican and the House potentially flips Republican, well, then Donald Trump may actually have more nominations to come, maybe one, maybe two. And think about all the laws and other changes. Now, it's possible the Democrats win and they're warning we will use the nuclear option. You will regret this. We could pack the courts. What does that mean? Well, how about for every Supreme Court justice you appoint to the bench, we will just add another judge because the Constitution doesn't say how many judges you have to have. Thus, Congress could increase the amount of judges. Well, that's a nuclear option. They're also apparently entertaining the possibility of impeaching Donald Trump to try and jam him up. And that is just ridiculous. But of course, Trump is bringing it up. I do think that point is a little ridiculous to be floating around in the media because it was George Stephanopoulos who asked Pelosi. She just refused to deny it. So I guess you can say it's floating in the back of her mind. But if you want to figure out who's at fault for this shocking defeat the Democrats are facing, then you need only ask the Democrats to look into a mirror. They can be angry all day and night about the fact that Donald Trump will now pick three Supreme Court justices, but it's their fault. You see, back in 2013, Harry Reid changed the rules. You used to need 60 votes in the Senate to confirm a judge, and he changed it to a simple majority. And this was a horrible mistake that, that in my opinion, has damaged our country. You see, instead of working with the Republicans, who at the time were in the minority, they decided, you know what? We're not going to negotiate with you. We're just going <laughs> to change the rules. There you go. Mitch McConnell said, you will regret this day and you may regret it sooner than you think. And now he's laughing all the way to the confirmation hearing. Three justices for Donald Trump. And now they're warning again. If you do this, we will use the nuclear option. We'll pack the courts. But wait, some Democrats have actually figured out what's going on. And they're warning. Apparently, there was a conference call where they said, hey, wait a minute. If we start saying we're going to pack the courts and the Republicans keep the Senate, what if they pack the courts? Ding, they're finally starting to get it. Stop changing the rules. It will be used against you. Donald Trump has won this fight. Your battlefield is the election. What are Democrats doing? They're changing the rules again because they can't win. I find it remarkable. They keep saying we're under the rule of the minority and it's not fair, but they can't win elections. You lost three Supreme Court seats or at least a seat at the negotiating table because you refused to negotiate properly with Republicans. Now, I know what they're going to say they're going to say the Republicans in 23 refused to work with uh, in 2013 refused to work with us. That may be. But you needed to figure it out. And they didn't. Instead, they said, you know what? Fine, we're going to change the rules. Listen, if the rules are as such, you need 60 votes. You should have left it alone and taken the L because not the rules are different. 
you lost three seats. Cut off your nose to spite your face. And now Nancy Pelosi is saying impeachment, or I should say entertaining it, maybe. And now they're saying what? Pack the courts? Congratulations. Why wouldn't the Republicans do it if they win? This is what Democrats don't seem to understand. They're not talking to me about anything. They're not saying, Tim, here's why we can't allow this. They're saying, change the rules so we win. And I'm just sitting here saying, convince me to vote for you. But they won't. Let's read these stories. Let's read the news and see exactly what's going on with Donald Trump securing his uh, his victory. I mean, we'll, we'll, I think it's going to be Amy Coney Barrett. He will announce that on Saturday and uh, he's going to win. Of course, the Democrats are going to freak out. But what can you do about it? Before we get started, I have a very big announcement to make. Matt Christensen tweeted this. And in fact, it confirmed. Yes, this is true. YouTube is going to be age restricting tons of content. And that means you basically can't share my videos if they get age restricted. And it means you will not see them if they are unless you sign up and subscribe. I know a lot of people don't want to sign up for YouTube and refuse to and they don't want to subscribe. This is just a warning to let you know that could effectively end all of my content. My podcast will still exist, but YouTube is the main place where I upload. If my content ends up getting age restricted and you are not subscribed and signed in, YouTube probably will not let you watch the video. In fact, they won't. And that's just a hard reality. That's the breaking news. So make sure if you if you really do like my content, you you share this video, you subscribe, hit the like button, the notification bell. And uh, just a heads up, I'll be I'll be doing more warnings about this and I'll probably do a, a full segment on it later today. But I'm just letting you all know right now. But let's get back to the news. From the Daily Mail, Donald Trump sets Saturday as day he'll name Supreme Court picks as Mitt Romney joins Republican senators in backing the president, ensuring an election year vote on nomination. And it sounds like they're going to skip over any kind of hearings because we know what's going to happen. You see, it's not just about the Democrats nuclear option in 2013. It's about their treatment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. I remember when that happened, and that was radicalizing, to say the least. Brett Kavanaugh, for those that aren't familiar, he's a Supreme Court justice. He's not ridiculously far right. In fact, he's sided against Trump a couple times, I believe. He has an all-female staff. I think so. I I could be wrong. But this guy was utterly destroyed by the Democrats and uh, and their allies in the media. This is a guy who was a federal judge. For better or for worse, whether you like him or you don't, this guy was a federal judge. He had already been vetted in his appointment to the courts. Yet, Somehow they mustered up these ridiculous stories about ramp, you know, parties with women being drugged and accusations against this guy. And when he was basically in tears during this hearing, saying that they were smearing him, the media took faces of him, clear images of his face, clearly in distress to make it seem like he was angry and snarling. Talk about a nightmare scenario. Why would the Republicans with control of the Senate put any new nominee through that process, especially this close to the election. They won't. The Democrats tried above and beyond a nuclear option with Brett Kavanaugh. They attacked an, uh, uh, an innocent man with no evidence, flimsy stories. It made no sense. And they ran with it and people fell for it. And the Republicans have learned. I think we're in trouble with this. I do. You know, there's a lot of talk of civil war and there's a lot of talk of conflict and crisis here in the United States. And we're heading towards it. We've been heading towards it for a really long time. Mitt Romney, a lot of people thought he would defect, but it wouldn't matter. You see, the court is 43 to 45, Republican and Democrat with two independents, the Independence Caucus with the Democrats for the most part. 
So what do we get? Well, you get if three people defect from the Republicans, you've got Collins, Murkowski and Romney 50-50. Doesn't matter. You know why? Tiebreaker goes to the vice president. At least I'm, I'm pretty sure. I fact check me on that. I could be wrong. So there would need to be four, four Republicans defecting before this would stop Trump. So Trump was was on track to win no matter what. But I'm really worried about what happens to this country when you have such a ma- like it is a back and forth between Democrats and Republicans with no negotiating. And it's a game of tug of tug of war that will ultimately end with both sides being dragged into the mud. I want to bring you back in time to the story from 2018. McConnell to Democrats in 2013. You'll regret this. He was right. This is from 2018 because it's a story about a previous Supreme Court nomination and confirmation. MRC TV says, in the midst of all the liberal outrage over the thought of President Trump appointing a second judge to the Supreme Court, is the fact the Democrats unknowingly made this all possible in 2013. The Democrats who had a majority in the Senate were led by Harry Reid, who used the nuclear option to change the Senate rules by a simple majority so the Democrats could limit the Republicans' use of the filibuster. When the nuclear option was first used, then Senate Minority Leader and now Majority Leader Mitch McConnell proclaimed a warning to the Democrats, you'll regret this, and you may regret this a lot sooner than you think. The use of the nuclear option first backfired on the Democrats in 2017. When McConnell used it to successfully approve President Trump's first Supreme Court nominee, Neil Gorsuch, Gorsuch, by a simple majority rather than the previous approval number of 60 votes. Now, with the retirement of Justice Anthony Kennedy, McConnell will will yet have another opportunity to approve a Trump Supreme Court nominee prior to the midterms, all thanks to good old Harry Reid and his Democrat buddies. Daily Wire editor-in-chief Ben Shapiro put it best. Harry Reid tweeted, thanks to all of you who encouraged me to consider filibuster reform. It had to be done. Ben Shapiro said, no, thank you, Senator Reid. They couldn't just let leave, leave it alone. They couldn't. They said, you know what? Instead of working together with it, with a larger majority to make sure there was some unity, we're just going to change the rules. They're doing that now. But I'll tell you why I said I was scared. I'm scared because what this change did was it made sure that there was no negotiating anymore. So long as you have the simple majority, you win. Now, it's great for conservatives. And as uh, somebody, you know, I'm particularly concerned about how far left the left is going, how crazy they've gotten. I'm not too worried about a six to three conservative court. I think it may end up being really good for individual states. It could be, it could in many ways weaken the federal government. But there are many instances where the federal government is dangerous, imperialistic. I mean, we've got this foreign war stuff going on. Donald Trump, however, seems to be doing a good job of negotiating peace. So I'm excited for that. Maybe the Supreme Court justices will be strict constitutionalists and will take away a lot of the federal government's power. That could be a good thing. But all I can really say is, you know what, Democrats, you've done nothing for me. You've convinced me of nothing. You've not even tried talking to me. You've only argued about changing the rules. And I sit back and watch it blow up in your face every step of the way. You want me to defend you? This is this is your own fault. You did this. Nobody else. And now you want to make it all worse. Donald Trump and the Republicans won this fight. You need to sit back, shake their hands, take the loss and say, we're going to come back strong and fighting and we will convince the American people. Thanks for playing. You know, I'm inspired when I see, you know, uh, UFC fights and you got these two guys and they're wailing on each other 
And then afterwards, they shake hands and give each other a hug. It doesn't always happen that way. But I'm inspired when they do because they recognize they're fighting physically, but it's sport. You know, at the end, we're trying to work together and be uh, to live together. That means we have to compromise in certain circumstances. So even these guys recognize, hey, look, I know we're fighting. I may lose, but it's all a part of the sport. It's a game. And these guys know what's up. The Democrats can't seem to get that through their heads. They can't just be a, uh, you know, uh, they can't just take the defeat. They have to make sure they burn everything down and it hurts them moving forward. It's everything Trump could ask for. It's reflected in how the protests happen. When the protests escalate into riots, the Democrats ignore the problems until it festers and then it emboldens Trump. The far left goes out saying we hate Trump. What do they do? They make everything worse by proving Trump right. And now the Democrats may finally be realizing what's to come if they keep trying to do this ridiculous nuclear option. Sam Stein, uh, he tweets, new one fear expressed by members. What if Democrats embrace court expansion and then don't take back the Senate? We've just given McConnell the basis and moral authority to go do it himself. I want to give a, a word of applause to the Democrats for finally figuring it out. Does that mean they're actually going to do the right thing? Does it mean they're going to say, Mitch, you put up a great fight. Bravo. You had the votes and you did it. And uh, we'll be back next time to fight for our constituents and what we believe in. Here, here, a handshake and a beer. No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. From Bloomberg, Noah Feldman. Republicans would regret replacing Ginsburg before the election. Forcing through a new Supreme Court nominee could produce a Democratic backlash none of us want to see. Yes, that's right. A Democratic backlash none of us want to see. Stop. Stop me. Okay. No. <laughs> Republicans want to see it. They do. They, they, they love it. I think back to what uh, Mitch McConnell said in 2013. You'll regret it. And boy, do they with Trump nailing three Supreme Court nominees getting confirmed by simple majority. See, the Republicans don't have 60 votes. What does that mean? If we stayed the way it was, if the Democrats did not go nuts, what would have happened? Trump would have nominated someone and the Democrats would say no. And so he'd say, OK, then who can we agree upon? And they would go back and forth. They would negotiate. Here's what would happen. Mitch McConnell would go to some Democrats and say, would you be OK with this person who's fairly moderate? And then they, then they would need to secure seven Democratic votes. Could you imagine a, a presidential run where some Democrats agree with the Republicans? I think it might be uh, maybe this is a symptom of the problem, not the cause of it, to be completely honest, because the Democrats might have just said, nope, 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 nope. Republicans were doing that. And maybe the Democrats felt like there's no point in even trying to negotiate because they won't accept anybody unless they're a conservative. Couldn't the Democrats have then chosen somebody that Republicans would at least say, OK, fine. I guess none of the Republicans would defect. The same is true now. So perhaps what we're seeing is a symptom of a greater problem, a growing divide between the two parties that cannot be mended. And it's getting worse every day. And, it's, and, and, and we're seeing conflict and crisis. We're seeing clashes in the streets. I think if we see another Democratic backlash, as we've already seen with the, 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 the change in 2013 from Harry Reid and then Brett Kavanaugh, your nuclear options do nothing but backfire. I'm willing to bet that Mitch McConnell, that the Republicans are going to keep control of the Senate. Donald Trump will likely win because the Democrats are insane. Maybe the House will flip back. I don't know. I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong. But I'm willing to bet 
They're going to win. I mean, that, that's what I see. That's what I think. And I could absolutely be wrong. I don't know what's going to happen. There might be a, a big red wave. The polls could all be wrong or the polls could be right. Not psychic. But I'll tell you what, if the Democrats move forward with this backlash threatening to impeach Trump, well, OK, I, I got to stop there. I got to stop myself. Not threatening, but dancing around the idea of doing it. I mean, then what happens when the Republicans take literally everything? Bloomberg opinion, they say, President Donald Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell wasted no time after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, immediately announcing their intent to nominate and confirm a replacement. Tempting as it is for Republicans to install a third Supreme Court justice during Trump's first term, it would nevertheless be a serious mistake and potentially a historic one for Senate Republicans to go along. The result would not only likely be the long term erosion of the Supreme Court's legitimacy as a third branch of government, but also a backlash so strong it would hurt the Republican Party itself. A mistake? No, it absolutely would not be a mistake. I'll tell you what a mistake would be. For Murkowski, I think it's Murkowski and Collins who have said that they're not going to vote. Doesn't matter. Romney said he will, and the tie would go to the Republicans anyway. It would be broken towards the Republicans. They'd win. They might lose re-election. We saw what happened with Kavanaugh. I think it was like four Democrats got knocked out because of what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. Regular people watched what happened, and they were shocked and offended by the lies and smears the Democrats thought they could get away with. A mistake. I'll tell you what a mistake would be. If Donald Trump does not nominate someone and there's there, there's no replacement, well, then people are going to be mad at him. And the Democrats are going to be emboldened to move in because now's their chance. If Donald Trump does nominate someone and the Republicans don't confirm, then those constituents of those Republican senators will be livid and the Democrats will be emboldened because the Democrats will say now's our chance to get in one of our own justices. Still, the court would lean conservative, but at least they could replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg with someone who's liberal or progressive. If the Republicans and Trump replace Ginsburg right now, the fight is over. The steam will be taken away from the Democrats. The wind from their sails gone. You already lost the war. The court is now 6-3 and they'll argue about its legitimacy. They entertained impeaching Brett Kavanaugh after the fact, but a mistake? No, your threats uh, mean nothing. Nothing to me, at least. And apparently nothing to Trump and the, Repu- and, and the Republicans. I would only ask that the Democrats actually try to convince me instead of just threatening the American people with more conflict and crisis. Because I'll make it simple for you. All of this that's happening, it's the result, of, as I said, of nothing more than the election. Republicans win. Republicans nominate. Republicans vote. Republicans confirm. End of story. If you want to change the rules and threaten ridiculous, you know, anti-democratic procedures because you just want power, it will it will just be used against you and it will not be convincing me or anyone else of anything. The Republicans won fair and square. Give them a handshake, a pat on the shoulder and say, we'll meet again in battle. Instead, they're saying no, they're sore losers and they would rather flip the board, flip the table and scream than than accept that they have been defeated. We can't go on this way. I, I, I can't believe that they're actually writing an article saying that if they do this, here's what they say. The reason for Republicans to hold off isn't the extraordinary hypocrisy they're showing. They're not. As Mitch, Mitt Romney just said in a statement, historically, a, an opposing party Senate does not confirm an opposing party nominee. And when the parties are aligned, they do. I personally think it's kind of dumb, but it's mostly the result of Harry Reid. You would have needed to negotiate. Well, you don't need to anymore. 
It's not even about this argument. There's no hypocrisy in winning elections and then doing what (laughs) you set out to do. He says, we don't live in a world where voters will punish a party for errant hypocrisy. Republicans and Democrats alike all understood that McConnell was making a specious argument when he claimed the March nomination of Judge Merrick Garland was too close to the election to deserve a vote. We all knew it was power politics then, and we all know it's power politics now. No, that's that's just not the case. It partly is, but it partly is. uh, Look, if Obama nominated somebody and they voted to confirm, the Republicans would say no, and the person would not be confirmed. If they needed 60 votes to do it, they needed to negotiate. It's not necessarily about power politics. Right now, it kind of is. They, they, they won. They can do it. Therefore, they do. Go vote. You know, go, go vote for the person you want. They say in a rational version of Senate confirmation politics, the party in majority thinks about how its actions will affect the other party when it takes control. Ideally, that norm leads to balance and some fairness. I don't take advantage of you. So in, in turn, you won't take advantage of me. In your, in our current world of power politics, The norms have eroded to the point of near disappearance. What that leaves is medium term self-interest about what the other side will do immediately, as opposed to what both sides would do if norms of fairness applied. Now, this is actually I agree with. I think he's making a similar point to what I just said. We we could maybe try and go back to this era where we negotiated with each other. The only problem is I don't think we are. I think that the Democrats have gone so far off the rails with everything they've done that it really does feel like, dare I say, civil war is inevitable. I'm sorry to say it. It, 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 Maybe it won't be what we think it is. It won't be. uh, It won't look the same way as other civil wars. But what the Democrats are proposing, what they've done to Brett Kavanaugh, the things that have been happening in this country are just so extreme. What side is willing to negotiate? I'll tell you this. The Republicans have negotiated with me and, and Donald Trump has convinced me to vote for him because of the riots, because of his peace agreements, because he's withdrawing troops in the Middle East, because of uh, uh, school choice as part of a second term agenda and term limits. I love all these things. I'll take the win. But more importantly, I recognize Donald Trump. I recognize the Republicans. They look like a political party to me, though I disagree on a lot of wedge issues that Democrats and liberals typically disagreed upon. At least there's some semblance of normalcy among the Republican Party, even if it is power politics. When I look at the Democrats, what do I see? The Brett Kavanaugh thing was a shock to my core. Come on. It was so obvious that woman was not being honest. She had no witnesses that could corroborate what she was saying. She claimed she was scared to fly. And then when questioned, said she flies all the time. It was it was it was it was ridiculous. 30-year-old allegations, no witness, couldn't remember where it was or how it happened, and we had a hearing over this? We ended up seeing the Kavanaugh effect, a big boost in Donald Trump approval and support because of this. And it hit me too. I still was like, eh, yeah, but I'm not going to vote for the guy. But the Republicans negotiated. Conservatives continually sit down with me and ask me what they have to do to earn my vote because they respect me. And that's what I ask for. Respect. Not that not you don't, you don't have to believe I'm right on everything. I don't think I'm right on everything. In fact, I don't know half the I, I can't tell you what we should do in terms of taxes and fiscal policy and health care. I'm, I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude trying to figure out who really wants to help make this country work. And the Republicans are asking me, what is your opinion on the matter? And I say, here's what I think. And they say, well, we disagree on that. But where can we come together? And I've sat down with so many Trump supporters who have who have told me I'm wrong, who have insulted me. Well, I, I insulted my ideas and like some of the things I put forward. But maybe that's maybe that's a bit too uh, um, aggressive. 
maybe I should say they were uh, denigrated like, oh, these are you know stupid liberal ideas. Oh, you progressives. But we can at least sit down and have that conversation, even when it is a little bit rough around the edges. The Democrats aren't doing that for me. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, what is going on with these people? They're, they're, they're mocking, they're belittling, they're, they're insulting, and they're in the streets, they're physically attacking. So they've done nothing to convince me. So here's what I see. The Democrats once again saying we're going to upend the system, we're going to burn it down. It's the nuclear option once again, once again. Are you, have you not learned from any of these, of these mistakes you've made in the past? Apparently not. And now I'm supposed to vote for you? There is a turtle man going, well, we have the vote secured and we're going to do it. And I'm going to be like, OK, he's right. And and what, what are they saying on the other side? They're saying we'll change all the rules. We're going to pack the courts, negate all of your victories. And I'm just like, dude, dude, calm down. What, what? None of these things are policy positions. It makes sense that the party that won gets to make the nominations. I, I, I would have preferred, I thought, Mer- uh, I was reading about Merrick Garland and he was moderate and, and he probably should have been confirmed. Fine. Well, here we are. Get the votes, but you're not going to get the votes because you've got, you've lost the plot. I bring you now to my final piece with a laugh that explains everything. Media matters for America. No, they love to smear people on the right or just anybody not left, uh, you know, whatever. Daily Wire host says Trump's Supreme Court nominee should be confirmed to trigger the libs. Michael Knowles says it will be very, very funny. And I laughed when I heard that. I did. Why? Because I have a sense of humor. I <laughs> he's right. He's right that it'll trigger them and it'll be funny. And that's why the left has really lost me. They're not funny. They're not fun. They're not having a good time. And they're not offering many solutions. They're mocking, belittling, laughing and just having a temper tantrum. And I look over at Michael Knowles and what is he saying? A joke. And they get triggered by it. They're mad at the joke itself. I can talk to Michael Knowles and we probably disagree on a ton of things, but we're going to laugh together. Isn't that what we want to strive to do? Laugh. Now, the left will say it's because Tim Pool has privileged, uh, privilege, blah, blah, blah. I don't even want to hear it, man. You're never going to convince me that a, a mixed race high school dropout from the south side of Chicago who worked hard and fought uh, every day to do better and be better is somehow, you know, they're, they're going to argue that I'm privileged and all that stuff. That's the argument. The only reason I could possibly laugh alongside someone like Michael Knowles or, or Glenn Beck or some of these conservatives is because I'm privileged. Let me tell you, man, during Occupy Wall Street, before I had any kind of recognition, they used to tell me that I was the perfect example of, of what was wrong with this country, that I had fallen through the cracks, that I should I should I should have a right to succeed in a livable wage and all that stuff. And then I was a good example of someone who was smart and talented, but just couldn't make it, huh? I never thought that. I I was like, well, I don't see it that way. I'm on an adventure, you know? But they were like, but shouldn't you be like running these companies and blah, 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 and all that stuff? And I was 25. And then after I got recognized, they said, Tim Pool is white and was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That's what they started saying. That's literally what they started telling each other. Because the only way they could fathom that I succeeded was that I must be privileged. Not an argument. Nothing in that would convince me of anything because all you're doing is insulting me. And all of the hard work, the blood, sweat and tears I put into everything was not good enough because you just turn around and say it's all about privilege. No, I'll tell you what it's about. I've gone through hardship and I was saved by social programs. And that made me realize the importance of them. And then I go and I see conservatives doing their normal conservative thing for which I disagree with a bit, but they're talking to me. And then I look at the Democrats and they're screaming more, more, more. It's not enough, more. And it's wild, 
uncontrollable temper tantrum, rage, hatred. I don't have anything to do with it. I don't want to have anything to do with the people who are insulting Ruth Bader Ginsburg as she died. I, 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 a lot of people are just thinking it's funny. I'm not a fan. I'm not. And there have been some high profile conservatives who have made some of these jokes. But for the most part, Donald Trump and almost every high profile right wing personality and conservative have been respectful. That's what I want. What do we get on the left? Mocking people on their deathbeds. Man, we recently lost a very prominent black conservative. You probably heard. I'll keep it light and I'll wrap this up. And they, they mocked and insulted this guy. And he was awesome. I, I'm just so sick of that. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed with, with respect, she lived an amazing life. And I give her that respect where it's due. And when, when I see people on the right suffer similar, they, they grow old, they die, they get sick. They mock them. It's disgusting. Some, some of these people getting cancer and I'm like, man, I'm sad to hear it. And they mock them and it's disgusting. I don't care where you're on, the, if you're on the left or the right, mocking people after they die and laughing and dancing on their grave. Get away from me. And we see that from the left. And we do see it from many people on the right. I don't like any of that stuff. But keep it out of politics. And Donald Trump took the high road. I wish the higher profile leftists, the blue check marks on Twitter, would do the same. I'm not going to act like it was every leftist. I'm just saying this is the problem I see with the Democrats. Have a laugh. Michael Knowles made a joke. It's funny. Donald Trump won. The Republicans won. Deal with it. I have no problem. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. It is a different channel from this one. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Once again, last night, we saw Antifa in Portland marching through residential neighborhoods. It's an ongoing tactic of theirs where they harass regular people. Why? Well, they realized going to downtown areas and smashing up businesses just wasn't cutting it anymore. If you want to get attention, you got to take it to people's homes. And this is a huge step over the line. But the media, of course, has done everything in their power to downplay and ignore and lie. I have for you a handful of stories to break down the media's problem, but also talk about, listen, the main lead here, regular people are getting fed up and the New York Times can't ignore it. Although they want to downplay the severity of the riots, they actually have interviews with people, and I can respect this, who are talking about how the far left is going too far. But of course, they're going to do this both sides thing. And I know the left complains about the both sides thing, but come on, man. You got people terrorizing residential neighborhoods. It's it's markedly different from peaceful protests in an urban area or blocking a bridge or, you know, staging an actual organized protest, marching through residential areas, ter terrorizing people as they try to sleep. I mean, what does the New York Times call it? They call it confrontational. But I want to start with this because we have an update, a fact check and a confirmation of information. You see, a day or so ago, I did a story, a segment but a man who uh, went up to a barbecue joint, I believe it was a barbecue joint and or a restaurant, and he shot three people. And there was a story from the Gateway Pundit that said he was wearing a Justice for Breonna Taylor shirt. I warned, you know, we, I couldn't tell what the guy's shirt was. OK, it was blurry. It was grainy. People were saying it was a shirt saying Justice for Breonna Taylor. For the, if, if you're not familiar, that's like a big Black Lives Matter cause. Breonna Taylor was killed in a no knock raid by police. So that's what they said. I couldn't fact check it. I was digging. I was digging. I couldn't find anything to verify what this story was, but it was getting a lot of traction. And so I warned everybody, listen, we don't know the guy's motive. We don't know why this guy, he was a Black Lives Matter activist. That's a fact. We don't know what his motive was. For all we know, he wouldn't have been murdered these people because they owed him money or maybe he snapped. I think it's funny that the response you see from media was, is this, 
Louisville pub owner squashes rumors that triple homicide suspect had Breonna Taylor t-shirt. We don't know if it was a political motivation or not, Bungalow Joe's owner, Joe Bishop says. Well, you could take any right wing atrocity or murder and they will tell you it was politically motivated. They will say this was. But when it comes to the left, what do they say? Well, we don't know for sure, but we can tell you this. He wasn't wearing a Justice for Breonna Taylor t-shirt, so we have no idea why he killed these men. Some people might believe that he killed these men because he's just, you know, he snapped. He targeted some white people, but one of the guys who died was black as well. I'm showing you this because we're doing a media critique, and this one's going to be quick. And then we're going we're, we're to talk about how regular people are being attacked and harassed and are getting sick of it. Because as it turns out, the man wasn't wearing a Justice for Breonna Taylor t-shirt. No, he was wearing a Colin Kaepernick t-shirt. Come on, man. You know, look, the Colin Kaepernick t-shirt represents the exact same thing. Okay, maybe not the exact same thing, but close enough to the same thing. This dude was a Black Lives Matter activist, probably radicalized by the media. And they and they don't they, they, look all these news outlets. OK, I, I, I don't think Fox News is necessarily doing a bad job here, but come on, put it in the headline, I guess. Look, the media does a really bad job. When I say the media, I'm talking about establishment press, because here's what the New York Times has to say about hundreds of days, 100 plus days, not hundreds, 100 plus days of ongoing civil unrest riots across the country, though they've been a lot calmer in recent time. Straining police resources has resulted in a major uptick in lethal crime shootings, etc. Take a look at this. Some protests against police brutality take a more confrontational approach. Oh, oh, dare I say, uh, throwing a brick through a window is just a more confrontational approach. Protests, more confrontational. How about New York Times? You say these people are violent rioters who have been attacking local residents across the country. Now, I'm not going to pretend like you've got Antifa showing up to the homes of people, dragging them out the streets and getting the guillotine ready. We're not there yet. And hopefully that never happens. But there have been several instances where Black Lives Matter groups have gone to homes and harassed people. And in Milwaukee, this one wasn't so much a Black Lives Matter uh, thing, but it was Black Lives Matter activists when they targeted a house where they thought two girls had been kidnapped or something. So they set it on fire. And when, they put the, when the fire department came and put the fire out, they set it on fire again. And then two people got shot. Uh, I shouldn't say two, two kids, two 14 year olds got shot. So you, you, you can see that these the, the, the mob mentality and the mob rule. We, we can't have this. It's not confrontational to show up someone's house and start harassing them, shining lights on their window and screaming at them for three hours. I guess you can call it a confrontation. But with who? Bumpkin Bill, who lives in his little bungalow? Leave the guy. Who cares? He's a regular guy. You know, they talk about how they're punching up. They're targeting police. They need this idea of whiteness so they can claim they're still punching up when a mob of individuals attack a uh, attack the home of a regular dude. I love this one. Some protests against police brutality take a more confrontational approach. The protests are moving into white residential neighborhoods where activists demand that people choose a side. And then the New York Times, the New York Times goes on to say they were actually uh, confronting a black man. <laughs> A white neighborhood? You know what, man? Yeah, these things exist. It, and and, it, and it's, it's unfortunate that we have racially segregated neighborhoods. But they're targeting anybody. They're targeting you if you, if you like Trump. They're targeting you if you have an American flag. And that's a big piece of that story. And we're going to read this because there are regular people who are finally saying enough. But let me show you something else real quick. CNN's Don Lemon suggests to blow up the entire system. When we have Don Lemon, CNN primetime, I know his ratings aren't that high. When you have him telling people to blow the entire system up, 
Do you think they understand whatever kind of context you're you're talking about? I try to be very, very careful. I'm not perfect, but I tell people keep, you know, deescalate tensions down, no violence. I'm even telling people right now, stay home and just do, you know, make, make money, do your job and go out and vote in November. The last thing we need is street confrontation of any kind. And people get mad at me. They, they're, they're like, Tim, you're saying people should give up their first amendment, right? And I'm like, no, I'm just saying have some tact. Okay. Right now is not the time to get a big group of people to go march through leftist territory or whatever. Mind your business, de-escalate. We do not want violence. They already killed a Trump supporter in cold blood. All right. We already saw what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. We don't want any more of that. But how, come on, Don Lemon. We got to blow the minority in this country. got to decide who our judges are and who our president is. Is that fair? Yes. <laughs> yes. That we, the, the, the founding fathers didn't want a tyranny of the majority. You would not want to live in that world, bro. You know, I, I, it's what I can't understand about these progressives. So in California, most of you know, because I talk about it way too much, they're trying to repeal the civil rights legislation that's in, it's, it's non-discrimination law in, pub, in certain public institutions. They're repealing this. And this prevents the state from discriminating on the basis of race. Uh, and so I was talking to a friend and they were like, yeah, but if we get rid of this, a progressive friend of mine, then we're going to be able to have affirmative action and actually help lift people up. And I was like, California is like, was it 70% white or more? Do you think all of these people and all of these white people are going to be like, yes, we agree with this small sect of progressive activists who make up like 8% of the country? Or do you think you're handing power to a massive white majority who will probably take collective action as they see it? If you believe in this idea of whiteness, why would you do that? So no, Donald doesn't get it, but I'll tell you what the point is. When he says something like this, don't be surprised when people say the entire system. And that means you, that means you at your house, you're part of the system. You are part of cis heteronormative patriarchy. If you know what that means, I, <laughs> I only kind of do, but the rules change every day. So I can barely tell half the time. But take a look at this from the New York Times. I love this. So this is by Nellie, Nellie Bolas. Now, some people have had took, uh, taken issue with her because she did this thing on Jordan Peterson. I, I, I think, you know, it is what it is, but I actually think this is kind of a, a good piece. Although I think the headline should be a little more, you know, like some of these protesters are targeting and harassing local residents and the residents are getting fed up. But she does open right with the, the, uh, the criticism from Portland, Oregon. Nellie Bolas reports, Terrence Moses was watching protesters against police brutality march down his quiet residential street one recent evening when some in the group of a few hundred suddenly stopped and started yelling. Mr. Moses was initially not sure what the protesters were upset about, but as he got closer, he saw it. His neighbors had an American flag on display. No joke. That's my line, not the story. Quote, it went from a peaceful march, calling out the names to all of a sudden, bang, how dare you fly the American flag, said Mr. Moses, who is black and runs a nonprofit group in the Portland, Oregon area. They said, take it down. They wouldn't leave. They said they're going to come back and burn the house down. You call that confrontational. I call that terrorism. Come on, New York Times. Come on, Nelly. They're telling someone to take down their flag for their country or they'll burn their house down. These people should all be arrested. It's a, it, this is terror. And you know what? Look, Stephen Crowder, he did this change my mind. He said Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization. It's like, man. That's rough. It's rough because they're massive with massive support. Net support in this country is like at 10%, I believe right now, according to civics. And what that means is about 10% more people support it than don't. 
The support is, the, the overall support in this country is like 48%. So they are, I guess they are the minority, but they're undecided people. So, you know, it ends up skewing towards net support versus opposition. These people are, are, are straight up telling you, if you do not adhere to their politics, they will destroy your home. This is not Antifa. This is Black Lives Matter. And, and I, I got to make sure I clarify this for people who may not have heard me explain it before. Black uh, Antifa is like communist, Marxist, and, you know, far left, anti-capitalist. One of their chants is, ah, anti, anti-capitalista. Okay, it means anti-capitalist. They don't chant that. That's the, the, the people who are going on aren't chanting anti-capitalista. They're chanting Black Lives Matter. Now you can say Antifa, you know, latched on to Black Lives Matter to gain power. Yes, you would be correct. And now it is in, it, it is, it is Black Lives Matter. Why? The people who are joining are joining for Black Lives Matter. The people who are threatening to burn down other people's homes are doing it in the name of Black Lives Matter. And if Black Lives Matter's global network won't disavow, call it out, and the media won't either, then Black Lives Matter activists are engaging in overt acts of terrorism. They will burn your house down. And yet the scary part is, what if this person tried defending themselves? What if people came onto your property and said, we're going to burn your house down. So you took your weapon. I was like, get off my property, get back. Oh no, now you're brandishing a weapon. You will be arrested. That's why, <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught the IRL podcast last night. It was kind of awesome because we had this new studio set up. I'm super excited. And uh, uh, Cassandra Fairbanks was here, but man, did we have problems. So I'm eternally grateful that people stuck around, but I, I, I got out. I can say it a million times because I'm so happy. I'm so happy to get away from this stuff. I'm not going to sit around and wait. Are you? Look, a lot of people say it's not that easy. And you're right. And for that, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not trying to tell people and, and you know, you have to do it because some people can't. I mean, you should do it. You need to prepare for this, but do what you can to stay safe. They're going to they're, they're, they're going to come and they're going to start targeting people's homes. And I'm, I'm worried it'll happen closer to the election. Because they want to coerce people. They do. What's the worst we get from Trump supporters, man? They go out and they wave their little American flags. Come on. When I see a Trump rally, you know what I see? I see frumpy middle-aged men and women, and they're not like, <laughs> they're just waving flags. They're like, that's it. Now, look, you do see Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer walking around doing their thing. If you don't engage with them, they won't engage with you. That's it. Plain and simple. And they're not showing up to residential areas. Let's, let's read more. Mr. Moses and others blocked the demonstrators and told them to leave. Bravo, dude. Yes. We don't go around terrorizing folks. There it is. To try and force them to do something they don't want to do, said Mr. Moses, whose nonprofit group provides support for local homeless people. I'm a veteran. I'm for these liberties. Bravo, dude. This guy sounds awesome. He is a dude who lives in Portland. I wonder if he votes Democrat. And he's defending the American flag and telling these people off. And he's a veteran. Bravo. We may disagree on a lot of political issues. I don't know what he, I don't know what his issues are, or I'm not saying, I'm not saying we do. I'm just saying if we can agree on these things, we're good, man. We're good. Let people fly their little flag. I'll tell you what, you can fly any flag you want. I'm going to mind my own business. I don't care, but I'll tell you what, you fly a certain flag. I'm going to know to avoid you. So I like that. If some dude's got like a racist flag and I don't like it, I'm going to be like, thank you for letting me know. I probably won't get along with you. I will respect your right to go away and do what I, you do your thing. And I'll tell you what, when they talk about confronting fascism and all that stuff, I'm totally down. I hate fascism. I think it's horrifying. I think almost every American does. That's why we're like, hey, World War II, like we, we engaged and we, we shut that down. 
And that's it, it's a long, complicated story pertaining to the world wars and all that stuff. Don't, don't get me wrong, like Japan, Pearl Harbor. But yes, we want to shut fascism down. We don't like it. I also don't like authoritarian communism and like authoritarian statism and all this other stuff. So I'll tell you what, you want to be anti-fascist. You don't need to put on all black garb and go marching around threatening people who have American flags. That's not anti-fascist. That's that's fascistic tactics. I say fascistic because they're not fascists, but it's fascistic because it falls in line with this idea of banding together and oppressing others and forcing them to adhere to your ideology. And it's common among many different you know, authoritarian ideologies. I'll tell you what real anti-fascism should look like. A bunch of hippies standing around linking arms and singing songs around the protest. I'll tell you what. You see a bunch of fascists out in the street. Here's what you do. You link arms, you hold hands, and you sing, and you drown out that message. You don't put on all black. You don't throw bricks. You don't do that. That's not anti-fascist. That's just authoritarianism. You counter their message. You counter their speech with better speech. That is awesome. I love peaceful protests, especially if you're targeting bigots, racists and all that. But they're not doing it. Showing up to random people's homes and threatening them, threatening to burn their house down. That's the that's that's it is the only difference between that and legit fascism is that these people want a a one global like authoritarian system instead of like a nation state. That's about it. Well, I guess fascists were traditionalists and they're communists. So you go. There's more. Nearly four months after the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, some protesters against police brutality are taking a more confrontational approach. (laughs) Confrontational. Threatening to burn someone's house down is just confrontational. Bravo, New York Times. The marches in Portland are increasingly moving to residential and largely white neighborhoods where demonstrators with bullhorns shout for people to come out out of your houses and into the streets and demonstrate their support. These more aggressive protests target ordinary people going about their lives, especially those who decline to demonstrate allegiance to their cause. That includes a diner in Washington who refused to raise her fist to show support for Black Lives Matter or in several cities, confused drivers who happened upon the protests. But the tactics are dividing supporters of Black Lives Matter. You see, this whole piece, it's a defensive piece. She can't say they're terrorists. She can't say that they're attacking and harassing local residents. She can mention they're being confrontational, but then stop and say, but Black Lives Matter doesn't like this. Let me defend them. Let me speak for them to clean their message. Would they do this for any right wing group? What if you had the Proud Boys, right? And remember when uh, there were some Proud Boys who went to Charlottesville and then the Proud Boys disavowed them and they got kicked out of the Proud Boys because they were like, we don't like this. What do they say? They say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that represents all of them forever. Even though the chair of the Proud Boys, I think, is like uh, uh, Afro-Cuban or something. I don't, I don't know his, his, his exact, exact ethnicity, but he's not a white man. Doesn't matter. They're still white supremacists, even if they straight up disavow violence, white supremacy and the alt-right, which, which they've done. Now, they also, you know, look, the Proud Boys are aggressive. They say what well, F around and find out when it comes to violence. Typically, they don't start the fights. They have. And that's on them. And that's on them. But they're not the same as Antifa. Where's the media to say, well, Proud Boys are mostly peaceful. That's true. The Proud Boys are mostly peaceful. There have been some instances of violence that have occurred. Like I said, they don't start the fights. But where's the media in that regard? No. But the New York Times will come out and say, but it's dividing supporters because, you know, listen, here's what they're really saying. 
We recognize that Joe Biden and the Democrats are being hurt really, really badly by this. And support for Black Lives Matter is lower now than before George Floyd. So let us run defense so you at so, so we can start getting that support back up. Isn't that amazing? That support for Black Lives Matter today is lower by almost half of where it was before George Floyd died. When George Floyd died, it shot up to 25% net support from 18. And the riots happened. And now it's from 18 to 10% net support. It actually briefly went down to nine, went up a little bit, but it's actually down. And after Jacob Blake, it went down another point. People are fed up with this and they don't care. You show up to my house and start to burn it down. I'm out. Now I'll be, f- I, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest. You see, I, I keep talking about how I moved to the middle of nowhere and I can see mountains outside my window. And I really kind of just wanted to come out for a long time anyway, to have my own space, to skate and do my thing. And so that was a big part of it. You give me, I've been saying it. Remember, I don't know if you saw me on the Joe Rogan podcast where I was like, if all is, you know, if all this falls apart, I'm going to get in my van, go down by the river. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time coming. They gave me an excuse. So I'm like, that's it. I'm out. Oh no, don't make me do it. I'll be honest though. They definitely sped up the timeline and COVID made things really, really difficult. And we kind of rushed to find a place. I would have liked to have taken my time and planned better. But I do, I, I, I'll tell you this right now, man. I, I, there's nothing that's going to keep me in any of these cities past November 3rd. That's look, they're shutting people's houses and they're antagonizing them. They say, uh, you know, oh, people are frustrated because nothing is changing. And then they highlight this black man who says, we don't need allies anymore. We need accomplices. But they're threatening to burn down people's homes, dude. What am, what, what am, what, look, I know you can tell me, I, I, I would say something like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, I, I get it. I've got a, a big YouTube channels and I do these videos. People, I guess you guys like them. So I, I appreciate it. And uh, the, the podcast and all that stuff. What's a regular person supposed to do when you go and threaten and terrorize people at their homes? What are they supposed to do? Are they going to be like, oh, I'm just, I just, you, you go to this guy's house, say, we're going to burn your house down unless you take this flag down. And that guy goes, congratulations. I happen to be the person with supreme executive authority that was hidden all along in the constitution. And I can press this button right here and poof, police brutality gone. No, they're going to be like, uh, I, I work at Starbucks. I'm a manager. <laughs> I live here with my mom. What am I supposed to do about this? Why do they have American flag? Because we live in America, dude. But they're, they're antagonizing. They're threatening to burn things down. Now they're talking about like impeaching Trump. And then what do we get? Defense and support. You see, not only is this New York Times piece highlighting a defense. Uh, uh, look, I got to be honest. I do like that they're at least pointing out they're terrorizing people and threatening to burn down houses. That's more than I could expect from the New York Times. So not bad. Look at this headline, though, a more confrontational approach. (laughs) Dude, threatening to burn someone's house down is like well beyond confrontation. It's legit conflict. It's it's terroristic threats. But I'll but but I'll end with this point about Don Lemon. First, the media ignores it. Then they start saying, actually, Antifa are the good guys. Antifa starts crossing the line and they say, well, they're being a bit confrontational. And then Don Lemon is straight up like, blow it up, do it. The whole system just nuke it. Don Lemon was talking politics. He was referring to the political system. But because he's so ignorant and doesn't understand the world around him or how this country was formed, he doesn't realize the system is functioning literally as it was supposed to function. There was a really good point I saw on Twitter where they said, try, okay, let, let's, let's say right now we wanted to create a federal union of states. Try convincing the smaller states to join that 
while while not having the Electoral College. They won't. Even with the Electoral College, small states don't have that much power. Even and, 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 and physically large states like Wyoming and Montana still don't have that much power. California has an absurd amount of power in the Electoral College. But y'all got too many people. OK, just because people decided to live in this one state doesn't mean that other states should lose their rights when it comes to negotiating at the federal level. Let me give you a really, a really, really quick and simple explanation. You know, I, I don't want I don't got a lot of time left in this segment. The Electoral College protects the rights and resources of the minorities uh, of minorities of the uh, minority states. You take a look at something like uh, Wyoming or Montana and, and they have resources and they're you know, sparsely populated. You get rid of the Electoral College, and then you'll end up with the president saying all of that sweet and luscious resource, re, you know, resource, whatever, unobtainium, just like a random thing, uh, resource X, it's up there in Wyoming, and we're going to take it if you elect me. And then you'll get all of these state, you know, states saying, sounds good to me. And they'll elect someone on the promise that he will seize assets and resources from particular states. They're not going to want that. They can still do this. But don't be surprised then when individual states feel threatened. So uh, one example that I often cite is there's been there have been lawsuits to try and take away Great Lakes water and ship it to other states who need water. And that could deplete and destroy the Great Lakes. I know because I worked for a nonprofit raising money to prevent this. There's something called the Great Lakes Coalition. Imagine if you got rid of the Electoral College and then all of a sudden the politicians were, were fighting for the, the causes of the big cities. Well, there are big cities who say we deserve the water from that city. And then the politician will just do it because they don't care about the votes of Michigan. Why would they? Michigan doesn't have that many people. And here's what happens right now. You need Michigan to win. You need it. Yeah, it's a swing state. It's a lot of votes. You need uh, Ohio. You need Wisconsin. These are Great Lakes states. Well, they can say, you know what? If I promise to take away all the water from the Great Lakes states, I'll lose the I'll lose the Great Lakes states. So what? L.A. needs water. California's in a drought. I will get all 30 plus million people in California by giving them the water from from, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin. That's a recipe for disaster. You will see people in this place revolt, rise up against the federal government. Don't take our stuff. You live in California. That's your jurisdiction. But you don't get our stuff. But California, man, was at 33 million votes and they suffered a really bad drought. You see how the, you see why that won't work? Anyway, Don Lemon wants to blow up the entire system. I don't want to get in a rant about <laughs> about about uh, the electoral college. The point is, if you go on national television, and say blow the whole system up at a time when people are going around saying they're going to burn your house down. That is the definition of support. And uh, like that man said, they want accomplices. So look, people are going to start going to houses like more than they're doing now. And that's why I am in a new recording studio, even though it's been really difficult for the new show. We we We, we built this whole studio in like a day. It was crazy. And we're still having problems try, 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 trying to troubleshoot the mixer and like the audio is all messed up. And it's, yeah, man, it's, it's rough, but I, I have to do it. We, we've got to move because I, uh, we work less than two months out. And so we're, we're moving very, very quickly, but we'll get, we'll get the flow of things. The internet here is kind of bad. And so, um, I'm going to figure it out, but you're not going to catch me in one of these cities. Um, n- not anywhere, not, no, it's just, it's now, I mean, they're going to people's houses now. And that's it. That's why I'm out. But I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thank you all so much for hanging out. And I will see you all at 1 p.m. White supremacists are everywhere. 
They're around every corner. They're in our government. I swear, I was at the Kroger the other day. I went to buy milk and there was a white supremacist hiding in the milk refrigerator in the back. I swear he was wearing a Kroger apron and he was putting milk on the shelves. I kid you not. I'm kidding. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? To claim that white supremacists are around every corner and every institution and that whiteness is controlling everything. It is crazy. Now, I've expressed before that I think many of these Black Lives Matter and Antifa people are unwell. I'm not saying every single one, but many of them. That's why they go around smashing things and burning things down that seemingly do not help their cause. I mean, if they really wanted to win, they wouldn't be burning everything down when it's hurting Joe Biden. Now, I I know many of these people don't like Joe Biden, but they prefer him over Trump. So why embolden Trump by proving Trump right? It's because they're unwell. It's because they literally think everyone's a Nazi, everyone's a fascist, and everyone's a white supremacist. But I think what we're really seeing is that these people are suffering from a paranoid delusion. Something else I've mentioned in the past that it is a paranoid delusional state among many of these leftists to claim the whole world is dominated by white supremacy. Well, Jonathan Kay for Quillette hit the nail on the head with the hammer. Check out this tweet. He says, for defund CBC fans, this is gold. Anti-police activist had her car broken into. On no evidence, she claims a white supremacist conspiracy. And CBC News breathlessly reports this as fact. But there's actually another story here, which CBC missed. There's a well-known conspiracy theory genre called gang stalking, whereby people view every act as a sign of systemic hatred. He says, Cyan Wilson, Twitter thread, shows how easily Black Lives Matter critical race theory can be co-opted into generic gang stalking conspiracism. I saw this and then I realized, whoa, Jonathan, you're right. This explains everything. If you're not familiar with gang stalking, there are people who will who believe that agents or operatives are spying on them. I'm sad to say that I know some people who have suffered from something similar, and it really does explain a lot of what Antifa and Black Lives Matter is. In a previous segment talking about the wildfires, a lot of people were claiming, you know, Antifa was going around and burning things. And that's just not true. There was one leftist started a fire. We don't know what his motivation was. The other arson, we have no idea. But what I pointed out was that I think what we see is that Antifa and Black Lives Matter extremists weaponize the people who are unwell, quite like the Joker in uh, The Dark Knight. So you may remember that scene where Harvey Two-Face, he kidnaps this guy who tried to shoot, you know, Commissioner Gordon. And Batman shows up and says, what do you expect to get out of this guy? He's a paranoid schizophrenic. The Joker preys on people like this. And that's exactly what this story is. Black community leaders speak out about intimidation and harassment in Waterloo region. Incidents have left leaders worried about their safety. If someone came to you and said that government agents were spying on them, You'd be like, no, they aren't. That's crazy. If they went around telling you, I, I trust me, someone broke into my house. How do you know? I don't, I'm just telling you, I know. The gang stalking conspiracy is real. And it's not so much a conspiracy as it is a, a paranoid delusion. Here we are seeing people who align with Black Lives Matter replace the word agent with white supremacist or, you know, whatever, bigot, Nazi, fascist, etc. They're saying the same things. And then everything starts to come into focus. They're paranoid and they're delusional. They think they're being attacked. They're, they're, but, but the problem is the media and the left are more than happy to accept this narrative of widespread targeting and racism and all that stuff. When in reality, 
And obviously, I'm not talking about like actual races. I'm talking about the crazy people who think there's someone around every corner coming to get them. It's everywhere. Like this lady claims her car got broken into has no evidence. And then the CBC actually goes and talks to other people and claims these things are happening without evidence. They are entertaining paranoid delusional behavior. Dare I say they may be weaponizing it. It's acceptable. Someone told us this. What if someone came and told me that they were being stalked by the government and I just repeated it without doing any fact checking? Well, that would be ridiculous. Let's read the story from the CBC. They say a local academic is speaking out after her after her car was broken into, which she believes may have been an act of intimidation intended to discourage her advocacy work. Cyan Wilson, a professor at Wilford Laurier University, believes she isn't the only one who has been targeted. After posting about the experience on social media, Wilson said other vocal BIPOC, black, indigenous and people of color leaders have shared similar experiences with her and say the incidents have left them worried about their safety. Earlier this month, Wilson said she awoke to find her car had been rummaged through. Personal documents, papers and mail were left all over her vehicle, though nothing appeared to have been stolen. Wilson is a member of the African, uh, Caribbean and Black Network of Waterloo Region. In replies to Wilson's tweet about the incident, others mentioned being watched, followed, and noticing strangers loitering around their homes. Wilson believes the incidents could be tied to her participation in the movement to defund the police. CBC News reached out to several others who shared similar experiences on social media. They declined to comment on the record, citing concerns about their personal safety and safety of their families. What are we seeing here? I think it's fair to say paranoid, delusional behavior. But these people in media that want to push the leftist narrative are more than happy to say it's happening without getting any evidence. So what if I were to show you, this is the story that Jonathan K. linked to. Uh, United States of paranoia, they see gangs of stalkers. Let me read you this. It's very, very interesting. Nobody believed him. His family told him to get help. But Timothy Trespass, an out-of-work recording engineer in his early 40s, was sure he was being stalked, and not by just one person, but dozens of them. He would see the operatives, he said, disguised as ordinary people lurking around his midtown Manhattan neighborhood. Sometimes they bumped into him and whispered nonsense into his ear, he said. Now you see how it works, they would say. At first, Mr. Trespass wondered if it was all in his head. Then he encountered a large community of like-minded people on the internet who call themselves targeted individuals or TIs who describe going through precisely the same thing. The group was organized around the conviction that its members are victims of a sprawling conspiracy to harass thousands of everyday Americans with mind control weapons and armies of so-called gang stalkers. The goal, as one gang stalking website put it, is to destroy every aspect of a targeted individual's life. Why? Doesn't it sound familiar? Okay. Maybe this lady, the Black Lives Matter lady, isn't saying that somebody walked up to her and whispered something in her ear. But they're basically telling us all, telling us this all day, every day, that fascists are coming and that Andy No, this is the perfect example, is putting people's lives at risk by sharing their images. Look, yes, there's a culture war. Yes, Antifa has shown up to people's houses. But let's talk about the inversion of reality. Antifa is, is uh, and Black Lives Matter, they're the people going door to door. They're the people showing up to neighborhoods. There's no fascists lurking around this, this country showing up to people's houses. It, it just, it, it, there's been a few instances, I think, where like a proud boy went to, went to this guy's house 
and he freaked out. And that's about it. Antifa, they're marching around neighborhoods. They're burning down buildings and they're attacking people. And they think they're under siege by white supremacists around every corner. Someone broke into this lady's car. They rummaged around and they found nothing. They didn't steal anything. Why? Did they want to steal her personal documents? No. But what does she say? She says, it's part of an intimidation and harassment campaign against me. These people are becoming paranoid. Now, you may say, Tim, didn't you just move out to the middle of nowhere? Okay, fine. You got me. But that's a different kind of paranoia. Just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you, as Kurt Cobain once said. Actually, I think he was referencing uh, someone else. Who was, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Hunter S. Thompson, maybe. But uh, look, I moved out of the city not because I think anyone's coming to get me, because I think riots in general are happening. And I don't want to be anywhere near a city when riots in general start to happen. There was just like some clashes in Philadelphia. And for me, it's like, I don't think necessarily people are going to come to my house, though I think it's fair to say that Antifa has gone to the home of Tucker Carlson. Cassandra Fairbanks, and even random uh, individuals like a regular dude in, in Milwaukee. So if, if, you know, for me, I'm kind of like, mm, I'm going to move away from the cities. This is different. I don't think Antifa is stalking me. I don't go to the store and, and look around and say, oh, there's Antifa. Oh, they're there. Oh, oh no, that person's Black Lives Matter. I, just, I, I live my life like normal. And I think most people are normal. and I don't have anything to worry about. But these people in Black Lives Matter tell us all day, every day, and the media props up this narrative. Meanwhile, we know for a fact that it, there is a paranoid, schizophrenic uh, uh, um, behavior where people think they're being stalked and there's like, you know, uh, someone around every corner coming after them. Now, now, I'll put it this way. Before there was a cultural movement around the idea of fascists emerging around every corner, people would say things like it was the government. And what was like the big thing on the Internet 10 years ago? Why it was quite uh, leftist libertarian. It was free speech. It was Julian Assange. It was WikiLeaks. There were a lot of people, Ron Paul, libertarian conspiracy theorists. They believed the government was was engaging in all this crazy behavior and there are false flag attacks and all this stuff. So what happens? Paranoid, delusional people who are suffering and need help see this and then say they're targeting me. And so what do they say? The operatives, the agents, they're the ones who are targeting me. But now the culture has shifted and now it's Black Lives Matter. And now people are on all over the Internet saying police groups and like the Proud Boys and fascists. And what do we get? The same people are now saying basically the same things, but they've replaced agent operative with fascists. It starts to make sense. Now, look, I think there's a lot of people who are exploiting this for political reasons. It's not the same as like the early conspiracy theories. They're exploiting it for political reasons because they know these people are paranoid and delusional will go around and working for them because, like I said, they're like the Joker. They prey upon these minds to do their dirty work. You then end up with this kid in Portland who was handed an explosive and threw it at the federal courthouse and will now go to prison. That kid is just unwell. But the person who gave him the weapon knew exactly what they were doing, fomenting violence and destruction, manipulating people who don't know what's going on. Let's read a little bit more of the story. So they're going to say that they met, they reached out to these people with similar experiences, but they declined to comment. Wilson said she did not report the incident to police. She did say that racialized communities do not always feel safe reporting incidents to police. In a statement, Waterloo Regional Police said the details of the social media posts were very concerning. We find the details to be disturbing and unacceptable to both our service and the entire community. We'll be reaching out to the authors of the post to encourage them to report the incidents if they have not done so already. They say actions aim to silence. Frankie Condon teaches race and class at the University of Waterloo and has closely followed Wilson's threat on social media. 
She said the actions described in the tweets align with ways white supremacist groups try to scare and silence BIPOC people. The more worried people in position of power and privilege are about the loss of that power and privilege, the more likely they are to turn to violence or the threat of violence to preserve their social standing. Wilson's experience was no surprise to Salem Debs, who was an anti-racism educator and advocate in the region. We understand fundamentally that our well-being is at risk when we do this work. What happens to so many racialized people, whether it's receiving threats online or what's happening with the indigenous land back camp in Victoria Park, is that there is a constant presence of white supremacy perspectives and ideology. You see how these experts manipulate those who are unwell? Let, let, let me go back. Look at this. The actions described in the tweets, people are worried about losing their power. She believes that she's being, you know, stalked by white supremacist groups who want to scare her. It sounds like gang stalking. It sounds like this person thinks she's a targeted individual and she's looking over her shoulder endlessly. Now, this paranoid delusion is fed into by people like this. Salem Debs, who owns a yoga studio and is an activist and speaker. She exploits the vulnerability and says, that's right. They are coming to get you. They are around every corner. Quick, give me your money and go espouse my message. And they do. It's politically expedient for these people to exploit those who are unwell. Debs, who organized the Black Lives Matter march in June, said all levels of governments and institutions need to rally behind the work grassroots organizations are doing. Better policies and laws are needed to protect people, she said. Marjorie Knight echoed those calls to action. Knight was a past candidate for the provincial New Democratic Party in Cambridge and told CBC News she faced a lot of racism on the campaign trail. Knight said it's time to stop stop talking about racism through town halls and public consultations and start taking action to end it. Until those who are responsible for policy and legislation truly become engaged, until they intentionally make change, we're going to continue this kind of situation. There is absolutely no doubt about this. Leadership has to step up. Okay. So we know that these people believe the fascists around every corner. We know that will benefit people politically, and it will also benefit them in terms of urban conflict, culture war stuff. And a good example is Andy No. This is a story from uh, Willamette Week. I think I'm pronouncing that right now. They say it, it was it was about people. Okay, okay, okay let me let me stop. Andy No uh, posts photos and information on people arrested during protests and riots. Some people criticize him because they say that, you know, they're innocent until proven guilty and he's doxing them. So there's varying degrees of criticism. That, that's, that's not the case. Uh, this, this information is all entirely public. And if you want to follow what's going on with the arrests and why people are getting arrested, you follow Andy No. It makes sense. The information already exists. All he's doing is saying this person got arrested. What do you want? What, so complaint, what are you going to do? It's public information. Well, they claim that he's feeding doxing lists to white supremacists and fascists to get people hurt, which is absurd. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who are lying. This story here may be them lying for political power. But I think when you look through the lens of this paranoid delusion, this gang stalking conspiracy these people are suffering from, it starts to make more sense. Now, again, this story specifically, this this is interesting. Willamette Week says, Twelve nights later, on August 19th, after Andy No published this woman's information, I shouldn't say information, but he published her photo and, and, and the public information around her arrest, a man showed up on the doorstep of Gray's mother. He was sweaty and nervous looking, and he asked for Regina by name, said Lucinda Fisher. He mentioned Gray's son, and I noticed he had a gun in his hand. Fisher slammed the door and called the police. What's this? An update. They say after the story was published, readers questioned whether Lucinda Fisher had actually called police. On September 17th, the Portland Bureau of Emergency Communications, which fields calls to 911, told Willamette Week 
It can find no record of a call from Fisher or any number or or an associated number uh, and address on August 19th. Gray and Fisher stand by their account and maintain that Fisher called the police. The other subjects in the story, Philip Wenzel and April Epperson, do not claim to have contacted police regarding harassment. Okay, I'm gonna stop right there. A guy shows up to their house, sweaty and nervous, and he had a gun in his hand. And and what? You said no one's here. He said bye, and he left. That was it. You called the police. Then what? Did the police come take a report? It didn't happen. It did not happen. Are these people suffering from a paranoid delusion? Because it was Gray's mother who answered the door, not Gray apparently. And they were looking for this woman. I think her name was, what was it? Regina Gray. They were looking for her, but she wasn't there. So it was her mom opening the door. Is she lying? Why? She said she claimed she called the police. The police say she didn't. Who's lying? I think these people are completely unwell. And I want to show you something that's supposed to be a joke, but I think it's actually legit. This is a clip from a song by Chris Raygun called Punch a Nazi. Uh, it's from a series he did called Social Justice the Musical, and they make this joke. There's a quote. If you don't constantly bitch about the president, and I'm going to play it for you, it says, you're a white supremacist, and then it shows an arrow pointing to everyone, even a black man, saying they're white supremacists, and then we get this. The Antifa guy saying to himself, they're everywhere. It's funny, right? It's a funny joke. I'm sorry, man. I think it is a paranoid delusion and they are replacing the government with fascism. So how do we deal with that? I honestly have no idea. Take a, take a look at this. This is exactly what I was just saying. In the New York Times story, they say the community, this is the targeted individuals, conservatively estimated to exceed 10,000 members has proliferated since 9-11, cradled by the internet and fed by genuine concerns over government surveillance. A large number appear to have delusional disorder and schizophrenia, psych- psychiatrists say. Yet the phenomenon remains virtually unresearched. For the few specialists who have looked closely, these individuals represent an alarming development in the history of mental illness. Thousands of sick people banded together and demanding recognition on the basis of shared paranoias. Boom, mic drop. There it is. There's no fascists. The alt-right is microscopic. There's barely any people in any white supremacy group in this country. Yet for some reason, it's front page press every single day. For some reason, these people get a pass when they make these absurd accusations to the CBC and other news outlets. For some reason, the New York Times will look to these people and say, following 9-11, these people believe the government was after them and they were nuts. I'm not trying to be mean, okay? But these people are unwell. Like they said, they, they, are, they are banding together around shared paranoias. Here's the problem. Racism is a real problem. It's a real issue. We all recognize it. When you take groups like this that believe insane conspiracies and you then remove that, 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 that government agent and replace it with either fascist or how about this? Russia. All of a sudden, the mainstream press High profile leftists start fanning the flames. You're right. You are being stalked. They are Russian bots. Think about that. I don't even get into the Russian bot part of this. How many people will have accused you on Twitter of being a bot, of being a Russian? They literally think the Russians are around every corner. How do we deal with it? I don't know. But I'll tell you what freaks me out. The idea that we are caving to these people and they're absolutely unwell. The media will look at the story of a woman who, who says someone broke into her car and it was an intimidation tactic and technique and she's being attacked by fascists who are hunting her down and all this other crazy stuff. And then you, you, get, you get similar things with the Russians. 
Now, the Russian thing, we don't hear a lot of this, you know, uh, targeted individual stuff, but they really are becoming paranoid and delusional. This isn't a traditional news segment I, would, I, I normally do. I usually try and rever, uh, um, reserve these segments for like something just happened. But I just saw that tweet from Jonathan Kay. And I was like, I think he hit the nail on the head with the hammer. We joke about this. We joke about how these people think everyone's, you know, a fascist or a Nazi. But I think what's scary is that a lot of them really do live in this paranoid, delusional reality because they think they are targeted individuals. I'm sorry, lady. I don't know who you are. Okay, you are not famous. You're not a high profile activist. No one is stalking you. No one is coming after you. It just is not a thing. Trump supporters can barely get out to protest for themselves, let alone muster up any kind of motivation to go to someone's house. Not that they would want to. Antifa is in the street all day, every day. If someone came to me and said Antifa went to their house, I'd be like, wow. Yeah, because it's happened before. There have been some instances where like a proud boy went to some guy's house, but it's rare, exceedingly rare. And it ends with nothing happening. But we have numerous stories of Antifa and Black Lives Matter showing up to people's homes and harassing them. Happens all the time. The riots happen all the time. And I still don't think necessarily, I, I still wouldn't even say if someone came to me and said Antifa was everywhere, I'd be like, no, they're not. <laughs> Shut up. You're crazy. But these people, the media backs them. The media is fanning the flames of shared paranoias. And they are making everything worse because regular people keep buying into this and they're making the paranoid delusion grow and fester. How do we pop that bubble? Break that delusion. Break these people out of this, this growing paranoid delusional state. I don't know. I really don't. But it's interesting nonetheless. It's interesting because, you know, when I show that Chris Reagan clip, um, for those that are listening, it's basically just arrows, you know, if you're not watching, pointing to all the people saying they're all white supremacists and the guy going, they're everywhere. But that's what they really think. Not all of them, enough of them, the most fervent and dangerous. Shouldn't we talk to them about their their shared delusional disorder or how they're sharing in this delusion? We shouldn't entertain it, but they are. And it's going to make for wacky politics. And that's literally what's happening. It explains so much. Think about it. The Democrats have no idea what they're doing. They're throwing unions under the bus. They're losing their minds. Everyone's a fascist. Everything's fascism. And they're just they lost it. It's because they're giving in to people who don't. I'll put it this way. You got a politician. There's a guy in front of him, a regular guy. And there's a guy in front of him on the other side who's like ranting and raving about fascists everywhere. And they're going, whatever this guy says, because he's going to vote for me. And they end up installing all this wacky policy. Imagine if they instituted a government policy where they're like, everyone must wear tinfoil on their heads. Uh. You'd be like, ah, this is getting crazy. And that's where it seems like we're headed. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast. It is my main channel, which is separate from this. Thank you for hanging out, and I will see you all then. You could not ask for a better example of leftist hypocrisy than this story. Alyssa Milano, defund the police activist, calls 911, sparking massive police presence in her quiet California neighborhood, claiming an armed gunman was on her property. But it was really a teen shooting at squirrels with an air gun. Okay, first of all, why is a teen shooting at squirrels with an air gun? Leave the squirrels alone. Little tree rats just want to do their thing and bury their acorns or whatever it is they're bearing. I have no idea. Point is, it is kind of weird that a teen's walking around her property, I guess, or her neighborhood with an air gun shooting at squirrels. But I want you to think about what this really means. There's some other stories about young people who were mistaken. Uh, people thought that their toy gun was a real gun. And the police have shown up and bad things have happened. One, one of the, uh, I mean, the example is Tamir Rice. 
A little kid was playing with a toy gun. Cops rolled up, thought it was real, and they shot the kid. Alyssa Milano, defund the police activist, called the cops on a kid who was playing with an air gun. This kid could have died. Now, look, I, I think Alyssa Milano, it's, it's her neighborhood. If she wants to call the police because she's concerned, that's fine. But this is so much hypocrisy. It's beyond just, I mean, first of all, calling the cops is hypocritical because she's a defund the police activist. But of course, she doesn't really mean it. She means for the poor people. And then secondly, calling the cops on this kid with a gun is hypocrisy because they often talk about police brutality. So it's 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 a it's hypocrisy in a couple different ways. OK, well, let's let, let me read the story for you and we'll actually figure out what happened. They say actress and defund the police activist Alyssa Milano was quick to call cops when she believed an armed gunman was on her Bell Canyon property on Sunday morning. The call ignited a response that included seven Ventura County Sheriff's vehicles, one canine unit, a police helicopter and one L.A. fire department team that sat down uh, that, that sat down the street uh, nearby on standby. Sorry, we can see in these photos a lot of cops, a lot of sheriffs rolled up because they want to keep Miss Milano safe. Now, you know what I hear from a lot of people? They say, well, I get death threats. Come on. Remember the mayor of Seattle? She said the, the Seattle City Councilman let the protesters to my house where I, I get death threats. You can't do this. Or about the mayor of Chicago who put cops on her on, on, on her block saying you can't film here and you can't protest here. This is a perfect example of rules for thee, but not for me. I'm important. I should be allowed to get a haircut during COVID lockdown, and I should be allowed to have the police, but not you. You see, we know what will happen when you defund the police and get rid of them. The rich people will hire private police, and they'll have their security. They just don't want you to have police. They just don't want you to be able to bear arms. Chicago is a really good example of this uh, for the longest time. And still today, they have very, very, very strict gun laws, but not for the politicians, not for the special people where they get armed guards. And that's true in D.C. as well. The politicians are protected by individuals they deem worthy of bearing arms. If they defund the police, the private security will not go away. Alyssa Milano will just flick some of her money at the problem and not think twice. But poor people will be left fighting. It'll be like the purge. Have you seen it? Okay, all the rich people are going to be safe and secure and the poor people are going to be attacking each other. They say a neighbor tells DailyMail.com, we first noticed a helicopter circling overhead very low and knew something was going on. It's usually such a quiet community. Then we saw all the police cars parked in front of Alyssa's home. They had their guns at their ready, at the ready and seemed very serious. Good for the cops. I mean it. I mean, it. and you know, look, if Alyssa Milano wants to call the police, that's her right. Maybe now she'll learn an important lesson. Maybe now she will start talking about the importance of why police are, are, are necessary. And sometimes they do wrong. And there are problems with the police departments. We got a lot of cops enforcing unconstitutional edict. I'm not a fan of that. But most cops are going to be there when you need help. Why they keep the peace, they stop the criminals, and they will protect you. Are they perfect? No. Should we reform the policing system? I think so in, in certain ways. And I think we need to support the police to make sure if we're going to ask them to do this job, which apparently nobody now uh, wants to respect them over, then we need to make sure they're safe. They feel safe. They're protected, secure, have the tools they need. We need more funding for the police. Well, Alyssa Milano had tweeted, defund the police. She tweeted it to Rex Chapman, so I don't know the full context. I do think they're probably finding the one time she said it, but come on. We know who Alyssa Milano is, okay? She's a hypocrite. She is all about Me Too up until it was Joe Biden who got Me Too'd. And then all of a sudden, well, actually, 
They say as the morning progressed, residents received updates, updates from law enforcement. Alyssa and her talent agent husband, Dave Bugliari, 39, they said, had dialed 911 when they heard what they believed to be gunshots on their 1.39 acre property. They allegedly told the emergency hotline the sound scared their dogs and made them feel like the gunman was nearby. A description was given of a suspect to the officers who was male, 40 years old with a long rifle. The two who have been married since 2009 were also concerned that it may be someone stalking the former Charmed and who's the boss star. In 2008, Alyssa filed restraining orders against alleged stalker Jeff Turner, a then 54-year-old man she claimed twice tried to break into the same home. The next door neighbor app was rife with concerns. Just drove by about 12 armed officers on Bell Canyon Road. One resident wrote, they are responding to a call reporting a man with a gun in the neighborhood. This was also the cause of the helicopter. Stay inside. Stay safe. We can then see several photos of the fire department, the police who came out. Alyssa Milano's gate sat open with law enforcement guarding the entire perimeter of the street. As these daily mail photos show, the search by air and street level lasted over three hours and ended abruptly at 1220 p.m. It turned out it was a neighborhood teen with an air gun shooting at squirrels, a resident told Daily Mail. The male teenager witnessed the emergency response and later realized he was the cause and turned himself in. The officers then had an impromptu meeting with some of the residents in the Bell Canyon Community Center, confirming what they dubbed Squirrelgate. <laughs> Isn't it just so silly? Oh, it's all nothing, huh? Alyssa has owned this Bell Canyon home since 01. She lives there with her husband and their two children. In July, the left-wing activist tweeted out to her 3.7 million followers a link urging them to sign the People's Budget LA that demands a 90% reduction in police funding. (laughs) Bravo, Alyssa. So I was wrong. She definitely tweets about this stuff. She tweeted, what is the Los Angeles Police Protective League? LAPPL is a narrow special interest group that lobbies our politicians to protect the LAPD budget, pension plus officers. But electeds need to protect people, not police. Police are people, dude. Sign the People's Budget LA petition. Okay. You know, uh, the, the, the question over lobbying always gets me. Do you know what this group does when they lobby? Do you think they're showing up to politicians' houses and saying, listen, we want to be able to oppress minorities with impunity. All right. That means you can't take our budget away. Or do you think the cops are like, this budget goes towards bulletproof vests. This goes towards a training program. If we can get better training for our officers, we can probably reduce a lot of these, these these incidents. And you have to look at the cost of the lawsuits. We're spending this amount of money on lawsuits. We can end this by spending more money on protective gear, better training, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. That's lobbying. It's telling the politicians why they need the budget as it is. Because if you don't talk to them, they will just hear it from the activists. So they're trying to get all of these departments defunded. And it's and it's happening. Milwaukee to lose 120 police officer positions under Mayor Tom Barrett's sobering 2020 proposed budget. After everything that happened in Kenosha, this is the appropriate response they they, they believe. Oh, you know what, man? It's people like Alyssa Milano that are driving the chaos, and she fully expects to be privileged and propped up, and everything should be okay for her. She's allowed police, just not you, the peasants. <laughs> Let them eat cake. I love the meme where it's like the natural cycle of defund the police. First, they say defund the police. Police get defunded. Rich people hire private security. Poor people then start complaining. The left then calls for private security for all. They eventually implement a private security public option, which you buy into, and eventually abolish private security, creating the all public private, the all all public security force, aka police. 
The only problem with that idea, actually, no, maybe that's maybe that's a good thing. Because here's what might happen. You might get a police voucher program. I talked to a guy, he's a Corey, De- Corey DeAngelis. He's a, a, he's a prominent conservative personality who really focuses on school choice. But I asked him about what if there was a police voucher program? The way it works is the, the school programs, maybe, I don't think it would work for police, but it's an interesting thought. The school programs are like this. Everybody pays taxes. Rich people pay more, poor people pay less. But then everybody gets one voucher per kid. You then go to the school of your choice and say, I will give you my voucher. This gives them funding. You're basically like buying something, but it's at a set rate based on a tax. But everyone gets equal access. That means lower income families can choose better schools, resulting in schools competing for better access. You see how that works? What if we did something like that with police? What if there was a police, you know, your police departments were doing a bad job. So you just said, I would like to allot my taxes towards this police department. It's effectively a private force, but still funded evenly among the public. And I, I, I think the problem with the, the reason why that won't work is because, you know, people will just take their voucher away because they don't want to get in trouble. Like they get a ticket. I'm taking my voucher because you, you gave me a ticket. And it's basically bribery. So we can't have that. That's why I think, look, we need general reform. We do. We can clearly see that many of these high profile leftists are lying about what they really believe. They want the police. Of course they do. They want private security and they want guns. They just don't think you should have them. Like it's, it's, it's like that guy who was cheering for the riots and then all of a sudden started tweeting. Oh, no, they're coming to my house. Stop. Stop. What are you doing? Go the other way. <laughs> Go to the poor neighborhood. He literally said it. So we have a good system. The police are relatively neutral arbiters. And the left says that they're arbiters of the establishment. Yeah, kind of. That's true. You know, just the status quo, and there can be problems there. But what's the alternative? Private police that uphold the rules for only some people? I don't want to live that way. I don't think you do either. But Alyssa, I got to give you congratulations. I think you did a good job of being a hypocrite. I'm going to leave it there. We got some big breaking news coming up uh, in just a few seconds. And uh, in the next segment, uh, I will see you all shortly. Louisville police have declared a state of emergency. Barricades block traffic ahead of anticipated Breonna Taylor announcement. Everybody seems to think it's going to be bad news for the activists, and thus there will be chaos in the streets. I've not seen, as far as I can tell, a preemptive declaration of a state of emergency, but perhaps it's because they just don't know. And that's what they're saying. For those that aren't familiar with the story, Brianna Taylor was, uh, uh, was a, a young black woman, and the, the police issued a, or were, were issued a no-knock warrant, I suppose. They barged in in the wee hours, firing several rounds into the house. It, it, it is a bit of a complicated story. Uh, they had been shot at first and ultimately shot Brianna, killing her. Many people and high profile athletes and activists have said, arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor. I've looked into the story. It's not so simple. The issue is the cops burst in and I believe they were plain clothes. I'm not sure. This dude, uh, the, Brianna's boyfriend, sees a bunch of guys breaking in. He thought he's you know getting a home invasion. So he fires. The cops return fire, killing Brianna. It's not a circumstance where the cops decided to go kill someone. But the cops did implement a, you know, did, did break and, you know, barge into this home with a no-knock warrant. Well, Rand Paul has uh, proposed a bill, the Justice for Brianna Taylor Act, banning no-knock warrants and raids. And I completely agree. It is, it is a challenge, but the police should be held to a high standard and we shouldn't allow them to just kick in a door out of, out of fear of, you know, of, of escape or ambush or things like that. And it, it, it's rough. It is. But I believe to protect the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth and basically every single amendment because your civil rights are gone when they kill you, the cops should probably form a perimeter. And I, I know I'm not a cop. I can't pretend to know how this thing, these things are supposed to work. But banning no-knock raids seems to make sense. Heavy, I think, I think the, the way you approach these things 
is just manpower. You get way more police than you think you need. Secure the area. And that's it. And then tell them, come on out. We're going to be searching. We have a warrant. Now we're probably going to see widespread riots. I, I think whatever the ruling is, it is a high likelihood that it will make the a- activists extremely angry. So let's see the story. Fox News reports the Louisville Metro Police Department announced Tuesday it will begin setting up barricades in the downtown area and restricting some vehicle traffic in anticipation of an announcement from Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron regarding the investigation into Breonna Taylor's death. This comes after the department declared a state of emergency Monday and a federal courthouse and adjacent offices in Louisville were boarded up Sunday ahead of the decision. Cameron has repeatedly refused to give a timeline for his investigation, but he will eventually present his findings before a grand jury who will decide whether to criminally indict the three officers involved in Taylor's death. Quote, due to increased attention and activity in in anticipation of an announcement from Attorney General Daniel Cameron regarding the Brianna Taylor case, a decision was made to accelerate plans to physically restrict access to the downtown area. The LMPD said in a statement tweeted early Tuesday, while we do not know when the attorney general will make his announcement, LMPD is taking the following actions to ensure the area is as safe as possible for those coming downtown to express their First Amendment rights, as well as those who live and work in the area. I think we know what they're actually worried about. The far left is going to burn that city to the ground. If you live in Louisville and you know people who do, please let them know about this. Uh, Share the video. Give them a heads up. This should be no different than if there was a, a tsunami coming or a hurricane. We get advanced warnings of potential hurricanes. They say there's a, you know, X percent likelihood it's coming. I would say the same thing here. I personally believe you have a very high likelihood of mass riding in Louisville. If you own a business boarded up, if you live in the area, you should probably take what you, you the belongings you care about and go stay with friends and family, because this may be one of the worst riots we've seen yet. We have seen an escalation in the Black Lives Matter rioting over the past uh, decade or so, and it's been, been getting worse. I believe Louisville isn't only the only place at risk. If the Breonna Taylor case gets, uh, if they say these cops aren't going to be indicted, and, and I believe it's, it's, it's probable they shouldn't be based on the information I know, then it's going to get uh, bad across the country. We are going to see some of the worst riots we've seen, period. You think George Floyd riots were bad? Wait till they let these cops go. They go on to say the department said it will place vehicle barriers around the perimeter of of the downtown area, as well as Jefferson Square Park, which has become a regular meeting spot for demonstrators in front of the federal courthouse in order to ensure pedestrian safety. Barriers will also be in place at intersections and police will further restrict vehicle access in the blocks immediately surrounding the park, as well as in the downtown area between Market Street south to Broadway From 2nd Street to Roy Wilkins Avenue, police will work with people who live, work, and do business in the area to allow necessary access. The department also tweeted a list of places officers will be stationed in order to request access to blocked off roads for legitimate business. The tweet also included a map showing an emergency route and where concrete jersey barriers will be placed. You can see that they're creating this massive, I don't think that's, maybe it's a square, it's a it's a quadrilateral of some sort area being barricaded off for a legitimate business. Notify an officer at any of these locations. So they're announcing checkpoints as well. Speaking at a news conference Tuesday, LMPD interim chief Rob Schroeder explained that there is no fencing around Jefferson Square Park and people wanting to come to protest can drive downtown, park outside uh, the barricaded zone and then walk through a designated access point to the park on foot. 
to express their First Amendment rights. Uh, I will also say, do not drive downtown. Uh, do not park your car downtown. They will smash it up, burn it, and destroy it. That is terrible advice. If you want to peacefully assemble, please do. But uh, take public transport or carpool and then have someone go park the car far away. Look, in Portland, they're going to residential neighborhoods. In Louisville, it's likely that they'll branch off from this park and go in who, who knows which direction. Any one of these directions can be the direction you've to where your car is. And they're going to walk around with hammers and bats, smashing up all the cars, whether you support them or don't. So I, I'll tell you what, to be honest, slap some Black Lives Matter stickers all over the vehicle and you'll be fine. I mean, hopefully it doesn't always work out. Here's a quote. This is by no means intended to be a lockdown of the downtown area, Schroeder said, adding that people can freely access the area and officers stationed at the access points are not checking the IDs of people entering or exiting downtown at this time. The interim chief also said, he did not have any information on when Cameron expected to make his announcement, but police were taking preliminary precautions amid rumors swirling that it would come this week. Mayor Greg Fisher tweeted Tuesday that he also did not know when Cameron would make Cameron would make the announcement or what it would entail. Quote, our goal with these first steps is ensuring space and opportunity for potential protesters to gather and express their First Amendment rights and to prepare for any eventuality to keep everyone safe. They know they know what's coming. It may not be. Uh, bad for it, 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 these cops may get indicted, okay? But there's no way they would spend the money, make the moves, put up the barriers and the checkpoints unless they knew what was to come. Mayor Greg Fisher says we do not know when the KYOAG will make an announcement or what it will be. Our goal with these steps is ensuring space and opportunity in that part I read. Schroeder declared a state of emergency for the Louisiana Metro Police Department in a memo sent to all personnel Monday to ensure we have the appropriate level of staffing to provide for public safety services and our policing functions effective immediately. The LMPD will operate under the emergency staffing and reporting guidelines as outlined in the standard operating procedures, emergency response plan and collective bargaining agreements until further notice, Schroeder wrote, according to a copy of the internal memo obtained by WDRB. Effective immediately, Monday, the department also canceled all off days and all vacation requests not already approved and submitted until further notice, according to a separate memo issued by LMPD Sergeant Lamont Washington to all personnel. Four federal buildings in downtown Louisville, the Gene Snyder U.S. Courthouse and Custom House, the Romano L. Mazzoli Federal Building, the U.S. Attorney's Office Building and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Building have been classified as high risk targets by Homeland Security ahead of potential civil unrest linked to the decision on Taylor's case, according to Tom Moore, the facilities manager of the General Services Administration, which manages the building. The courthouse will be closed to the general public from September 21st to 25th, and in court appearances during this time will be temporarily converted to virtual proceedings. Chief Judge Greg N. Stivers of the U.S. District Court for the West Western District of Kentucky said in an order Friday, the ICE office in Louisville will also remain closed this week, according to the agency's website. Louisville has been gripped by large scale and sometimes violent demonstrations this summer over the death of Taylor, a 26 year old black woman killed during an authorized police raid executed as part of a narcotics investigation. One officer, Brett Hankinson, was fired from the Louisville Metro Police Department on June 23rd. The other two officers involved, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly and Officer Miles Cosgrove, have had already been placed on administration at administrative leave. And the other big breaking news was that I believe the city paid a settlement of $12 million to the Taylor family. Many people are saying it's not enough. They want the cops to go to jail. 
And herein lies the big problem. If we ask the cops to do something and they do it, can we put them in jail for it? No. So I'll throw it to the activists when they say the whole damn system is guilty as hell. They are correct. The system itself is guilty, not the individual officers. You need reform, not defunding, not these cops getting charged. If the cops committed a crime, fine. Okay, show me the proof. Show me the evidence. And this is we're talking about indictment. We're not talking about a trial. We're not talking about conviction. You can charge people. It doesn't mean they're guilty. But I want to see evidence, probable cause that it was beyond what they were asked to do. If they were asked to do this and it was an authorized raid, we've got a problem with the system. That's why I think Rand Paul has it right. Ban no knock warrant, no knock raids. Simple solution. The system is guilty. The system must be changed. We can't put the system in jail, but we can change it and fix it so it doesn't happen again. But these people want retribution. They don't want justice. They want retribution. They want to feel some kind of revenge or satisfaction. They want others to suffer because this woman died. I can respect the feeling, but it doesn't solve any problems. I wish you the best people of Louisville. Please stay safe. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. This is a major announcement and very serious bad news. This could be the end of all of my YouTube channels. And I mean that uh, sincerely. YouTube is about to age restrict way more videos. AI moderation measures will be used to automatically age restrict certain content. They basically say in an email that I received for all my channels and many others did as well and is now being announced publicly that if something is demonetized, it's probably not appropriate for all ages or vice versa. Now, my content is almost never, never age restricted. I don't show videos of violence. I don't swear. Everything is family friendly, but I do get demonetized from time to time. I mean, kind of often. If they increase the amount of age restriction, here's what this means. If you are not subscribed to my channel, you will not be able to watch any of my videos. If you are not signed up to YouTube, you will not be able to watch any of my videos that are age restricted that appear on third party websites or platforms, meaning sharing the video will be less, will, won't work. Age restriction is going to be sweeping a ton of content off the platform. And we knew this kind of thing was coming. Um, so look, I gotta, I gotta be completely honest when I say if, if this really does impact me, they're saying they're, they're, it's going to start today. I haven't seen any age restrictions yet, but, um, it may mean that I can't make any content. Uh, and I, and I mean it. Look, if they age restrict a video, it will get probably 5% of the normal traffic. And that's unsustainable for my business. I have, uh, I have employees. They, they, uh, that, you know, people who are working on the IRL podcast, engineering, we're, we're, I'm, I, I hire people uh, periodically and we're in, we're in a, a, a we're, we're expanding. Age restriction on any of my content would mean no revenue. It would mean, uh, no viewership. It would just just be the end. So uh, I still do have the podcast, of course. This segment, along with all others, do appear on iTunes and Spotify and many other places. And the IRL podcast tends to be fine. My main channel, however, will likely be fine. So I will still be producing content. But this channel specifically. Why? Well, because this is the channel uh, where I specifically talk about the more controversial subject matter. My main channel is dedicated to top level politics and news coverage. Rarely, if ever, is my main channel demonetized. This channel, I would say three out of out of five videos are guaranteed to be monetized, demonetized every single day. And if that wasn't the case, I'd be making way more money. Uh, however, if this moves towards AI age restriction, then my videos, this, this channel is just gone. It's dead. 
I talk about Antifa fighting, you know, with with uh, uh, Proud Boys. I talk about Maxwell or Epstein or anything like that. Gone. So what's the point of doing the video if I know YouTube will just basically block it? There's one thing you can do. You can subscribe. Subscribe to this channel, please. Uh, I know a lot of people don't want to sign up for YouTube. They want to watch on other platforms. I am on other platforms. These videos get auto synced to Minds and to BitChute. But YouTube is the main platform for revenue. I have revenue outside of YouTube, but it's it's true. YouTube is the main driving re- revenue source for, for me and, and for many people on YouTube. Let me read you some of the story to give you some better context. So you understand how this is going to impact not just me, but other YouTubers. From The Verge, YouTube is rolling out more artificial intelligence power technology to catch more videos that may require age restrictions, meaning more viewers will be asked to sign into their accounts to verify their age before watching. Similar to how YouTube used machine learning techniques to try to better catch violent extremism and more of the platform's more severe, most severe content beginning 2017 and later to find videos that included hateful conduct, same approach will be used in this case to automatically flag videos YouTube deems not age appropriate. As a result, YouTube is expecting to see far more videos pop up with age-gated restrictions. The company is preparing for there to be some mistakes in labeling, as is the case with any rollout of AI moderation in tech. And as part of the changes, people watching YouTube videos embedded on third-party sites will be redirected to YouTube to sign in and verify their age. One of the biggest questions facing creators in YouTube's partner program, those who are able to monetize videos, is whether these the moderation measures will have an effect on their money-making potential. YouTube's team doesn't believe so because the majority of videos it anticipates will receive automatic age restrictions also likely vi- violate the company's advertiser-friendly guidelines. Basically, those videos would already have limited or no ads, according to YouTube. That is the most important part. Let me clarify. What they're saying is, it is likely that your video that's demonetized will be age-restricted. Okay. <laughs> Um, most of my videos talking politics are age restricted, not my main channel. That's, that's totally monetized across the board because me saying something like, oh, Donald Trump's approval is through the roof and oh, that Mitt Romney, oof, oh, Chuck Schumer is so mad today. That's totally family friendly, no swearing. And for the most part, not controversial. I will be able to, uh, successfully run my business off of that one channel alone. But I, so, uh, look. My main channel right now gets about ni- got about 19 million views in the past month. This channel got about 60 million. It is a much bigger portion of the content I produce. Most of my videos I produce, I produce here. When I got the email today, it looks like this could be, I don't know, I guess an apocalypse, a YouTube apocalypse that will dwarf all apocalypses. Because even if you are Someone like me, I don't swear. I don't show violent images. I, I, I blur things from news stories. I don't even say certain words. I have a, a word filter. I still get demonetized all the time. Several videos today, in, in fact. Typically, they're falsely demonetized. And then I have to request a review. They get confirmed. And then I have to override it by asking for help from YouTube. I think, uh, man, for the first time, I really feel like this could be... Uh, it was fun while it lasted, you know, I'll stress. I think the IRL podcast will do just fine um, because we, we typically keep things family friendly. But uh, this channel for sure is going to be seriously impacted. They go on to say this doesn't mean mistakes won't happen. They will as countless incidents or of wrongfully applied labels and takedowns and all manner of copyright strike controversies have illustrated in the past. 
But YouTube is bulking up its appeals team to handle appeals as they come in. Another concern creators have is that age-restricted videos won't appear on the homepage. While age-restricted videos are less likely to appear on the homepage, age-restricting doesn't automatically prohibit videos from appearing on the homepage, according to YouTube. 80% of the views I get are from people who don't, uh, uh, who are just seeing my videos appear on the front page of YouTube. And that probably is you because you're in the majority. The best thing I can say is, look, if you like my videos, then subscribe, sign up, and check back in for new videos on these channels. But uh, I know that won't matter. As much as there may be many, uh, many of you who are like, you know, diehards who want to watch all day, every day, and they want to check out every video, most people don't. I produce right now 12 segments per day, 12 plus two hours of live content. The live content then gets broken up into six other segments, which go up the next day. So that's half of the 12. Six of the, con- uh, six of the segments I do are original. The, so uh, I do, a, look, of, of this content, the bulk of the views come from people who aren't subscribed, who aren't signed up, and who tell me they won't and they don't want to. But that is still how I make a decent, uh, the mo- most of the, my, my, uh, my revenue. They go to the homepage of YouTube, they see the video, and they say, ah, it's Tim, and they click on it. A lot of people won't sign up and they don't. And therefore, it may mean that the, 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 my videos go from getting hundreds of thousands of views per day, I think averaging like 300 or 400,000 to probably like 20,000. And uh, that workload is just not sustainable. There, uh, look, there's a, cert, there's a certain point where they just shut it down and, and that's shutting it down. Age restricted, no viewership and no revenue because it's demonetized. They're telling us straight up, if you're one of these channels, you're out. You are out. Politics is done. Say goodbye. The other problem is that mistakes get made. I'm, I record my videos and upload them within an hour or two of publishing time. Typically, it's within an hour. Sometimes it's within a half an hour. Uh, my morning segments are all, my, uh, my first two segments are literally recorded just a half an hour before public. I record and then I publish right away. That means if they falsely flag it, I can't do anything. I, I, I literally can't. Requesting a review means the video won't go up. And these are, we're, we're talking about news content. I don't know what to tell you guys, um, but it, I, I guess I'll do the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see it, w- w- what this means. They said the changes were coming today. I haven't seen any age restriction. Again, I don't swear. So hopefully I, I uh, hopefully it'll be fine. They go on to say that this is the, uh, it, the rollout comes as YouTube tries to address global criticism from concerned parents. No, no, no. This is, this is all about politics. The election is coming. They can't have me talking about the riots. Why? They realized how many views have I gotten? I did a video on my main channel, 1.2 million views in less than a week about Antifa and uh, just talking about what was going on. Well, that stuff makes the Democrats look bad. How is it that people know the Democrats are lying and the media is lying because they can come and watch the videos of the conflict and the crisis? When the Democrats realized that the, the riots were hurting them, what happened? As predicted, here we go. Uh, it's obvious. I said it two years ago. I said it a year ago and everyone else did. If you think it's bad now, if you think the censorship is bad now, when I went on the Rogan podcast, friends, if you think it's bad now, wait until the election. They are going to nuke all of our channels. So if this is the end or the beginning of the end, then I want to issue a heartfelt thanks to all of you because it's been a fun ride. I got a million subscribers on one channel about to break a million on this one. So subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, a new the new podcast is doing really, really well. 
I don't think it will immediately destroy everything I've built or, or my companies because I have revenue outside of YouTube. I'm not stupid, but I do think it is going to be a huge reduction in reach. So I'll tell you this. Um, share my content when you can subscribe, because if you're subscribed, you can still come to my channel and see the videos if you'd like. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen to YouTube, but this is going to destroy a ton of channels. No more comedy. I mean, comedy's not family friendly. That'll be age restricted, not promoted anymore. This is YouTube moving down the path of becoming Netflix. I said exactly this. They want to remove homegrown personalities and independent personalities and only allow network personalities. And there it is. It's been fun while it lasted. We'll see how things play out. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m.